on the recorder if I was going to record this, right? All right, so here we go. So second law, repetition laws, because you have this whole generation of folks that are growing up in the wilderness without the experience of having been brought out of Egypt necessarily. Everyone 20 years of age and older has now passed at this point that we've come to. And um, so the people are... Um, they're being re, reacquainted, that is, with God and with His laws. And God is going over the stories, the history, if you will, of how they got to this point and to this place. So, God has re recorded and set down for them um, the fact that this was an 11-day journey that took 38 years to accomplish. Just 11 days and they could have made it. Now, if you'll remember, the Lord brought the children of Israel right to this place before, right there to Kadesh Barnea, right at the edge of the Jordan River, ready to cross over. And uh, the Lord sent spies into the land, remember? Or not the Lord, but rather Moses sent spies in. Uh, one man from each tribe, 12 men in all, among them Joshua and Caleb, the only two men from that generation who will be allowed now to pass into the promised land. And if you remember the story, they went in and they said, oh, the land is fruitful. There, look at these giant grapes we brought back. There's all kinds of food everywhere and it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We'll certainly be annihilated. I think that's an amazing statement for them. Because if you look at the history of what the Lord did for them in Egypt and the miracles that had just recently, within two years, had brought them to that point, they are forgetting so quickly the, the, the amazing deliverance, the miraculous deliverance of the Lord. Uh, which of us has ever walked on dry land through the middle of a fairly deep ocean? Not a one of us, right? And so yet they, they had the waters congeal on their sides. They walked through. Which of us saw the entire army that was chasing us, the strongest army in the world, annihilated in a moment? Not one of us. And yet here they are, they're saying, hey, there's giants in the land, Lord. How could you possibly deliver this land into our hand? It's too big a job and too scary a task for us to do. And so the Lord, what did he tell them? Do you guys remember? He said, fine, don't go in. But this generation, because of your unbelief, because of your doubting, you'll perish here and your children will enter in instead. And so, uh, and then what did they do? They begged and they pleaded with the Lord, okay, we repent, we're sorry, we'll, we'll go in now and, and we'll go fight. And so they went to prepare themselves for battle to go in and, uh, and the Lord said, don't go, you'll be annihilated. And, and I like the line that it ended with here. Let me find it. Um, he says to them, uh, um, The Amorites came against you, the Lord said, which dwelt in that mountain, and they chased you like bees do, even unto Seir, even unto Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear unto you. And so you stayed or you abode in Kadesh many days according to the days that you abode there. And the Lord chased you out like, like you were being chased by bees. 
And um, I'll tell you, um, I have a, I have friend, most of us know somebody that rides motorcycles, right? And um, I had a friend in, in um, we used to do this, this uh, Christian camp up in the mountains when I was in uh, uh, college. And he came up and he had been riding his motorcycle up and he talked about the time a bee flew down his jacket. It was hot, it was, you know, and so he had the collar open a little bit so that he could get air going in there, you know, cooling him off. And, and of all the, I mean, you think about how much body space is there, right? The bee managed to fly right there. And it got inside his jacket and stung him a couple times. So he just about wrecked, right? Can you imagine going down the freeway 65 miles an hour and having that happen to you? So, but here, these guys were chased like a, a whole f- hive is chasing them out. And I don't know, like I was explaining last week, when I am at home and the wasps are after me and they hit me in the head or they come flying out of a board that I moved, man, I'm, I'm you know, I'm jumping and I'm getting out and I'm swatting at it. And all I can think about is getting that one bee out of my face and not, and, and not stinging me. And they have a whole army of bees after them. So what do they do? They went tearing back home, right? And, and the Lord says He wouldn't listen to their voice or give ear. Why? Because He had already told them, if you go up, you're going to get defeated. See, the, the Lord tell, tells you and I things in the Word all the time. We're like, well, Lord, couldn't we do this or couldn't we do that? And, and if He's already explained it to you and already showed it to you in, in His Word, what's the answer going to be? It's like my kids coming to me. Mom, Dad, can we do this? And we say, well, we already told you no. But mom, but dad, what's my answer going to be? If I'm a good parent, what's my answer going to be? If it was a good sound decision, my answer is still going to be the same, isn't it? Right? Now, if, if it's obviously, if there's something where there's leeway and, uh, for us to, to change our minds, that's fine for them to ask again. But, but a lot of times in important decisions, the Lord will, will tell us, I've already said it to you in my word, just like me as a parent. My kids, if it's important enough, the answer is still the same. No, you may not go chasing your ball into the street, right? That's a pretty basic one. But, but I'm afraid it's going to get hurt. A car's going to hit it. Well, exactly. I'm worried that you're going to get hit, right? All right. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 2, where we pick this up again. And... Um, so, remember, they, they were at Kadesh many days. And then it says, We turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke unto me. And we compassed, or walked around Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. Man, they had this massive defeat. They, they couldn't be entered in, into the land and they were probably a little discouraged. And the Lord put them on this journey around and around Mount Seir. You ever been on that, felt like that? Man, when, when is this ever going to end? It seems like I've been going and doing the same thing repetitively over and over and over again. And... Um, uh, you know, we, we sometimes, I think we put ourselves, just like the children of Israel did, we put ourselves into a position where because of our sin, we're stuck in a pattern, right? We, I, I have known people that 
they just can't seem to break free because they, they just don't want to quit doing what they're doing that's wrong. And so the Lord's like, okay, until you change your mind, until you change your attitude, until you change your behavior, let's just go around the mountain again. It's just, okay, we can do this again. I can, right? And uh, um, have you ever seen that, uh, uh, that movie? It's one of my favorites, as, as long as you skip through the bad parts. And, um, but the, uh, the Groundhog Day, you ever seen that? And the guy wakes up in the morning and he goes through the day and it's the exact same thing, day after day after day. And when does he finally get out of the cycle? When he finally does it right. When he finally gets over himself. When he finally starts doing things the way they're supposed to be done, right? That's when the cycle's finally broke. That's how it is for these guys. When they start obeying the Lord, when they start doing what's right, when they start getting that, okay, we're not entering in, and they settle into what the Lord has for them right there, then the Lord says, okay, you've been there long enough. It's time to move northward. So even for the children of Israel, the, the, the called ones, those elect of God, um, there were consequences for that unrepentant sin and that continued disobedience and, and obstinance. So there's, a, there's a, another passage in the Old Testament talks about this sort of thing. And it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There used to be a famous song about it. I know you guys have heard the song, if you, if you heard any of the 70s music. But it says, Ecclesiastes 3.1 3, says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Everything has its season. Everything. I, um, I think the Lord will use those things in your life to humble you, to bring you low, to, to allow you then to be ministered to and to minister to others. We go through the things we do. Why? So that we, we can comfort others where, with the same comfort wherewith we were comforted. Right? We have that experience, and so we're able to, to help the others who are going through those same sorts of things. So wait, verse 4, we're, we're making big headway here. Verse 4, the command down the people, saying, You are to pass through the coast of your brothers, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, and they'll be afraid of you. Take your, you good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a foot's breadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. You'll buy meat of them for money that you may eat. You'll also buy water of them for money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hand. He knows you're walking through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Though through the land of Moab, um, 
uh, pardon me, you, you've lacked nothing. And when we pass by from our brethren, the children of Israel, uh, of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, through the way of the plain of, from Elath and from Ezion Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, Do not distress the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, because I won't give you of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar unto the children of Lot for a possession. Think of this. So, God has promised them a huge amount of land, hasn't He? Enough for their in these millions of people. And He says, You're going to pass through the land. Now, remember they had problems with with some of the other tribes and kings when they wanted to pass through peacefully and they wouldn't let them do it. And here the Lord says, you're going to pass through where the children of Esau are, but you're not to have any of their land. Don't even think about it. Right? Now, what story did we just get related to us in chapter 1? We got the story of them being told to go in and possess the land and they wouldn't do it. And, and so the Lord said, because you wouldn't do it, you're not going to go up. Then they said, okay, we're going to do it anyway. And the Lord said, well, you're going to, get, you're going to fall to ruin, right? I haven't given you that now. And so here he is. He's just told them that story. Now he's going to remind them that you're passing through the land of Esau. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Esau. And you're not even going to get even a sliver of that land. Not even a tiny piece of it. So don't even bother asking, so to speak, right? And what's more is you've been blessed. So don't just take. Don't just be somebody who just sucks off of them. When you get food and when you get water, pay them for it. Give them their due. They're your brothers. Right? So they're going to be afraid of you anyway. That's what the Lord said. And then he says the same thing of the Moabites. Now the Moabites, who are they? It says they're the descendants of, of Lot. What's the story of Lot? You guys remember? Remember Lot? He, he uh, and, and Abraham, their flocks were too big. So they, they said, well, we need to divide. And uh, so uh, they looked across the land and Abraham said to Lot, you just pick where you want to go and I'll go the other way. And so Lot saw the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and how green and well watered it was. And he said, oh, that looks great. And he, I want that piece. And so Abraham said, okay, go. Right? And he went, but it was a bad decision, wasn't it? And he fell in among the people there, and he started taking up their ways. And um, anyway, so God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot goes fleeing into the mountains with his daughters. His wife is turned into a pillar of salt as she turns back longingly. And uh, his daughters then have an incestuous relationship with him, and they have children by him. The, the Moabites are the children, uh, uh, the descendants, that is, of these illegitimate children, of these incestuous children of Lot. But yet God, in His mercy and His grace, in spite of grievous sin, has done what? He's blessed them and le left them with a possession in the land. He still takes care of them. He still blesses those who, who aren't following closely after Him. What does that tell us? What does that encourage us in? It encourages us in this, is that you can't earn the favor of God by your good works and your good deeds. It's merely out of His love and His grace and His mercy poured out abundantly upon us because He loves us. 
You see, and so he says, I gave that to them. That's theirs. Leave it alone. Same with the Moabites. I gave it to them. Leave it alone. It is their possession. It belongs to them. Now, um, one of, as we go into this next section, there's a lot of talk about giants. And um, I, forgot what, I forgot what the term is called. But anyway, some of the, there's traits the Bible tells us about some of these giants. And I think that some of that genetic material still floats around through society today. So, for instance, if you look up on, um, on the Internet, you can see folks that have uh, multiple digits on their hands and feet. Uh, I saw one article today. There was somebody who had actually 35 digits between their hands and toes. Can you imagine? 35! It's bad enough having six sometimes because a lot of times when a person has a sixth finger or sixth toe, it doesn't work. Now, there have been famous people that have had six fingers and six toes. And uh, there was a blues guitarist that uh, was... Um, pretty famous. There's been pianists that have been famous with it. Um, there's been a, there's a baseball player who's evidently got a mean pitch and they, they attribute that pitch to having that extra digit on his hand. And, uh, but anyway, um, turn with me if you will. Let's take a look at some of these traits of these guys before we get into it. And um, turn with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 21. And let's look at some of the, the traits that we're going to be seeing here. Uh, go to, yeah, well, there's Nephilim, and there's Emums, and there's uh, Zamzumans, and there's, uh, there's a whole host of them. And, uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll get into some of the names of them here pretty quick. But anyway, go to 21, verse 16. 2 Samuel 21, verse 16. I'll give you guys time to find it. And, uh... Looks pretty good. All right. So verse 16. Now don't go naming your kids this. <laughs> Ish bibi benab. <laughs> Boy, that gets you that gets you some teasing in school, wouldn't it? Ish bibonab. Ish bibonab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. How much is 300 shekels of brass? What is a shekel? It's about four ounces. Four ounces. So his spear weighs 75 pounds. That's a Now, I'm guessing that because as we get down a little bit further in the passage here, I'm guessing that's just the head of the spear and not the spear shaft. But take a look. Anyway, 75 pounds, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, succored him or, and smote the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go no more out with us to battle, that you quench not the light of Israel. In other words, this, this giant was trying to kill David. And uh, it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And then Sebekai the Hushaite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jar Jari 
I can't even say it. We'll call him Jar, <laughs> Jarhead, right? A Bethlehemite slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So I looked up, what's, you, you know how big a weaver's beam is? I don't know how long it is, but they're saying it's about two to two and a half inches in diameter. So you got this spear that's 75 pounds at least and a spear shaft that's, it, it's like a log, it's, you know? And, and that's what they're using to throw at people and to stab them with? <laughs> Man, this guy is, you know, he's huge. You can understand why the children of Israel, when they came into the land and they saw these guys, they thought, we're toast. I mean, he, he just move that beam around, it can knock us before we even get close. And um, anyway, then there was a, a battle in Gath where there was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he was also born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimeah, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So if you look at that, David didn't just kill one giant. He killed at least, at least five giants. Isn't that something? So go back with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 2. So we see these guys... Uh, a lot of them have uh, multiple digits on their hands and feet. Uh, they're, they're strong. They're tall. Uh, gigantism today a lot of times affects people uh, in their motor skills. Their motor skills are less developed sometimes. Or they're clumsy because of their size. Um, when, when you're growing up or when your kids are growing up, how many times do they hit their head on the table? Because not that long ago they were that much shorter and now that table is right here on them, right? and they're like sprawled out on the floor, right? Yeah, but it's because of that height. And so I think with gigantism, it might be the same way sometimes that that clumsiness is because things aren't built for people who are oversized, typically. And um, anyway, so uh, another thing is that um, I had watched or listened to a documentary on gigantism. And evidently, uh, there's a strain of these traits that runs through um, uh, folks who are nomadic like the gypsies, the gypsies in particular, So, uh, which would uh, uh, find its way in through a lot of the Portuguese culture and so forth. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not saying that Portuguese are giants <laughs> by any stretch, but just that the, some of that genetic material has, has fallen into those lines. You'll find folks in India as well, uh, who uh, sometimes have these traits, and of course scattered throughout society. Uh, over at the hospital here at Fairchild, there used to be on the wall, you know, they do the, uh, the hand prints and footprints of uh, babies when they're born. And uh, one on the wall there used to have uh, six, six fingers and six toes on it. And, uh, but I know they change them out regularly. So, anyway. So Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 10, the Emums. The Emums dwelt therein in times past, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. So you have Emums and Anakims. Now, giants, maybe we don't have physically giants that are scaring the heck out of us today. But look at the name there, the Emums, it means terrors. Do some of us have terrors that, that seem to dwarf us and our abilities? 
Absolutely. So the, the Emums uh, were there. They were a great people. There were lots of them. We have lots of terrors. And, and they were tall like the Anakims, which were also accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites called them Emums. The Horums. Okay, here's another one for you. Being angry. For some of us, that's a huge giant. Horum means being angry. They were the ones that were being angry all the time. I, I don't know if there's, there was a guy um, uh, that my, my boss, when I was learning how to do carpet, used to talk about named Mike. And Mike was a big guy, just huge. And he had these hands that were gigantic. They were about the size of a saucer. He just had oversized hands. And he was quick on top of that. And um, he used to love to play in the bar that the, my, my boss used to go to play a game called Hot Hands, where they would, you know, try and hit each other's hands, and the guy underneath would try and slap the top of the hand of the other guy. And anyway, I don't know how they made money off of that or gambled on it. But anyway, Mike was fast, and he, he hurt people frequently doing that because he was so quick and his hands were so huge. They were just massive. But he was always angry. And he was looking for people to provoke him. He was the guy in the movies who you see who literally was able to throw somebody through a window or through the side of a wall and had done it on more than one occasion. Big guy, strong, but he was being angry. He, was a, he, he would be considered a horum at that time, right? And so we have fears, too, that are, we're, we're being angry. Anyway, but they dwelt also in Seir before time, but the children of Esau seceded them when they had destroyed them from before them, and they dwelt in their place as Israel did to the land of his possession, which the Lord gave unto them. Now rise up, I said, and get over the brook Zered. And we went over the brook Zered. And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the hosts as the Lord had sworn unto them. That's one of those promises you probably didn't want to be a part of, right? The Lord said, you're going to be wiped out before you get to cross in. And in 38 years, He fulfilled this promise. All but two. <laughs> well, all but three at this point right here. Okay. All but three. Who's the third man? Moses. Moses. Well, okay. Moses doesn't get to enter in either, but for a different reason. Right. Right? And, look at it. <laughs> yep. That's right. And uh, so anyway, so you have three left. And, uh, but the two have been promised that they can go in. Joshua and Caleb. So... For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. And so it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, You are to pass over through Ar, the coast of Moab, this day. And when you come near over against the children of Ammon, do not distress them, nor meddle with them, for I will not give you of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it to the children of Lot for a possession." And that also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt in it in old time, and the Ammonites called them Zamzumans. And did you ever know there were so many varieties of giants? There's all kinds of them. Anyway, a people great and many and tall like the Anakims, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they seceded them and dwelt in their place. 
as he did to the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, when he destroyed the Horoms before them and succeeded them, and dwelt in their stead even to this day. And the Avams, which dwelt in Hazarim, even unto Aza, the Kaphtarims, which came forth out of Kaphtar, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise up, take your journey, pass over the river Arnon, behold, I have given into your hands Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land to begin, begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. Even today, look at little tiny Israel. And yet the, Israel is in the news every single day. They have become fearsome. I know I've mentioned it before, but think about all the big tech companies and who started them and who runs them. Largely Israeli companies, largely Jewish-owned companies. How about a name like Zuckerberg? Jewish fellow, right? Owns Facebook. What about um, Google? Another company. How about um, uh, Oracle? How about Apple Computers? Right? Just go through the list and start looking at the founders and their heritage. And you'll find largely Jewish. God has blessed them exceedingly. And yet, at the same time, uh, I, I, most of my, my friends who are, are at all computer savvy, are a little nervous. How about Elon Musk? I don't know what his heritage is, but I have a feeling. I have a feeling. And, and um, But anyway, um, God, God just has, has made them a terror, even to this day, to their enemies. They're fearsome. They're fearful. And really, until not that long ago, they weren't even a nation anymore. Think about how quickly they have risen to prominence in the world. It's by the hand of the Lord. So, he says, I'm going to begin to put the dread of you, the fear of you, upon the nations that are under the entire heaven, the whole of heaven, who will hear report of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. And I sent messengers out of the wilderness to, of Kadimeth unto Sihon, king of Heshbon with words of peace saying let me pass through your land I'll go along by the highway I won't turn to the right or to the left you'll sell me meat for money that I may eat give me water for money that I may drink only I will pass through on my feet like the children of Esau which dwelt in Seir and the Moabites which dwelt in Ard did to me until I will pass over the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God gives us but Sihon the king of Heshbon would not let us pass by him for the Lord God uh, Lord, your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as appears this day. When did he do that? It was after he said no. It was after he said no that the Lord turned him. He says, can we pass through? And he said, no. And then he became obstinate about it and said, no, you will not pass through at all. And he absolutely refused. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've begun to give Sihon and his land before you to begin to possess, that you may inherit it, his land. And then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to fight at Jahaz. 
And the Lord our God delivered him before us, and we smote him and his sons and all his people. And we took all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city. We left none to remain. Only the cattle we took for a prey to ourselves and the spoil of the cities which we took. From Arawar, which is by the brink of the river of Arnon, and from the city that is by the river, even to Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all unto us. Only unto the land of the children of Ammon you came not, nor unto any place of the river Jabbok, nor unto the cities in the mountains, nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us. Now, you say, well, how could God do that? Wipe out all the men and women and children. Oh my goodness. But remember the story. So they asked permission to go through the land. The king said, no way, you're not coming through here, period. And so they started to go around the long way. And here comes uh, King Sihon. And he attacked them from the rear. He got the women and the children and the weak and the sick. And he started to slaughter them from behind. And so, remember this. Think of your own emotions. If somebody were to break into your home and start to attack your family, how you might react. These children of Israel are God's the apple of his eye. They are his special inheritance, bought and paid for. Just like you are his special inheritance, bought and paid for. And he says he's jealous for us. I want God on my side. I want God to defend me. And I want him to go after those that would harm me. Because when they're harming me, who are they really harming if I'm a part of the body of Christ? Better idea, get yourself on God's side. <laughs> yeah, so you get the Lord, right? To you, you surrender the Lord and you become part of that body of Christ. When He touches you, He touches the apple of God's eye. So, the Lord takes out the men and the women and the little ones of every city and left none to remain. And you say, well, how is that possible? Yet, here's the thing. We're all under the curse, aren't we? We are all condemned. Men love darkness rather than light. And so the Lord says, one day you're all going to stand account, but no man knows the day or the hour at which the Lord will call you home. Right? When you'll stand before Him. So better to be right now than to face Him without, without that Savior, without Jesus Christ. Alright, so then um, where are we at here? Alright, let's take a little bit of a look here at... at uh, Chapter 3. Then we turned and we went up by the way to, to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edriag. And the Lord said to me, Don't be afraid of him, because I'm going to deliver him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you will do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og, also the king of Bashan, and all his people, and we smote him until none was left to him remaining. And we took all of his cities at that time. There was not a city which we took not from them. Three score cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. And these cities were fenced with high walls and gates and bars besides unwalled towns, a great many. And we utterly destroyed them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, the women, and the children of every city, but the cattle and the spoil of these cities we took for a prey to ourselves. And we took at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites the land that was on this side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. 
which Hermon, the Sidonians, called Syrian, the Amorites call it Shanir. Anyway, all the cities of the plain and all Gilead and all Bashan under Salkik and Edri, the cities of the kingdom of Og of Bashan, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Behold, check this out. His bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. What's a cubit? About 18 inches. So, how wide is the bed? Well, if one cubit is 18, two cubits is 36, it's, yeah, six feet wide. It's got a bed six feet wide. How, how long is it? Nine cubits long. So two and a half times that. So six times two and a half. Fourteen feet long. That's a big bed. And so they turned it into a museum piece. It says, isn't it now in, in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Man, you've got to come see this thing that this guy slept on. This guy was gigantic. Now you understand because how, how tall were most of the tribal peoples of those days, the nomadic peoples? Five feet, yeah, if that. Five, maybe six, but probably five feet, four, four to five feet. If you ever go to the southwest and you go toward some of the old um, uh, Indian ruins like uh, a Mesa Verde or something like that, right? And you climb up into the cliff joints, those doorways, they're short. I mean, they're really short doorways. And, and all of us, a, a modern man, need to stoop to get under the doors. So... Anyway, gigantic bed. And this land, which we possessed at that time from Arawar, which is by the river Arnon, half of Mount Gilead and the cities thereof, I gave to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. And the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, being the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh and all the region of Argob with Bashan, which was called the land of the giants. Now, if you remember real quickly, that land that the Reubenites and the Gadites and uh, the half-tribe of Manasseh got, Remember, they got to that point on the river. Here they are waiting to cross in, and they saw that the land was a great place for cattle. And they said, Lord, this is sufficient for us. We want to stay here. And, and Moses got afraid that they were going to fall into the same pattern that the children of Israel had fallen into 38 years earlier. And he said, you have to go in. No, this is wrong. And he was getting upset with them. And the Lord reassured them it was okay if they would promise to come and fight with the rest of Israel until the land was taken. And so they agreed to that. And so the Lord gave them that land on the other side of the Jordan. But it, 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 anyway, um, so that's how that, that tribe ended up on the, without entering into the land, so to speak, but having it become a part of the possession. Anyway, verse 14, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the country of Argob to the coast of Geshuri and Makath and called them after his own name. And I gave Gilead to Machir, verse 16, to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. I gave from Gilead even from the river Arnon to half the valley and border even under the river Jabbok, which is on the border of the children of Ammon. The plain also and Jordan and the coast of it. Um, and verse 18, I commanded you at that time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. You'll pass over armed before your brothers, the children of Israel, all that are meet for war. 
But your wives and your little ones and your cattle, for I know that you have much cattle, will abide in your cities which I have given you, until the Lord has given rest to your brothers as well unto you, and until they also possess the land which the Lord your God has given them beyond Jordan. And then you'll return every man to his possession which I have given you. In other words, God said, okay, you can stay here. I know you have a lot of cattle. You can stay here. And, and your cattle can stay here. Now, what, what strikes me as interesting is that they came in and they took this land and God said to, you, to the men, you will go and fight with the rest of Israel, but you'll leave your wives and your children there. Now, you can see that the, these people, they're changing in their attitude, aren't they? The Grubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have begun to trust the Lord because they're leaving their wives and their children defenseless. Well, the men of war go off to war. They have security in Jesus. They have security in the Lord, really. And, and so they're trusting. They said, okay, we believe you, Lord, that you will protect and care for our families when we're gone. And, and it's kind of a neat transition to see in them. Here it is 40 years later. You never would have seen that when they first came out of Egypt and before they went through all the trials they went through. So, they're beginning to learn to trust him. And I commanded Joshua at that time, verse 21, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. And so shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms where you pass. You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he will fight for you. Oh, man, don't you want to hear those words? You got those giants and you got those battles. And the Lord said, I'm going to take care of it for you. Right? Now we just need to be like the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and just believe the Lord and trust Him. Right? So, I besought the Lord at that time saying, Oh Lord God, this is Moses speaking, You have begun to show Your servant Your greatness and Your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to Your works and according to Your might. I beg you, or I pray you, let me go over and see the good land that's beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes <laughs> and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, let it suffice you. Don't speak any more to me about this matter. You ever said that to your kids? Or ever been told that by your mom or dad? D don't. Don't even talk to me about it again. Okay, I already told you. The answer is still no. It's going to be no tomorrow. It'll be no next week. Right? So just, just quit talking to me about it. But, the, but you see Moses, he's like, oh God, here we are. We're at the border. I'm seeing all these amazing things happening. You're delivering all these people into the hands of the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of, uh, of Manasseh. And you're doing all these works of deliverance. And I can see and trust your hand, Lord. And it's amazing. I'm so, I just want to see this promised land that we've been traveling in the desert for 40 years now. I just want to go in and, and enter in and touch the land. I just want to Oh, I just want to smell it and feel it and touch it and taste it and see what's there. Oh, please, God, let me go in, right? And, and what does the Lord say? He says, no, you can't do it. I'm going to let you go see it from the mountaintop, but you can't go in. What's that? Forget about it. Forget about it, buddy. Yeah. And, and yet, what is, you can still see the resentment here in... Um, 
in Moses a little bit. Because he was provoked, really. The people were, were whining and complaining and disobedient. And, and they provoked him to anger and wrath. And they came to him complaining about him. And it was really the Lord they were angry with. And so Moses took his staff. Remember when they needed water again in the wilderness? And, uh, and the Lord said to, him, to Moses, Okay, I'll give the people water. Just speak to the rock and the water will come forth. That image of Jesus Christ. Once you're saved you're saved. That water has already been poured out. The, 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 the rock, Jesus Christ, has already been smitten. One time for all. doesn't need to be smitten again and again. Put on the cross again and again. But Moses, he went to that rock and instead of speaking to it, because once you know Jesus, all we have to do is come to Him and speak to Him. We, we, we say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our trespasses. And then He says He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? 1 John 1, nine, And uh, so He just needed to speak to Him and that water would pour forth. But He took His, his staff in His hand and He smote that rock again. And the Lord said, because you misrepresented me, because you ruined this picture of what I've done for you, you'll not be able to enter in. And so here in this passage, he says, he says, the Lord was wroth or angry with me for your sakes, verse 26, and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, let it suffice you. Don't speak to me anymore of this matter. I think sometimes we get angry about what make what people without realizing it make us do. I know that when I lived in Southern California, I was uh, like so many folks down there and I drove fairly aggressively. And it took a lot of years to get that out of my system. And uh, and I would be um, angry on the freeway when people would cut me off. Or when I would... Um, but of course, I would be gr driving aggressively myself. So... <laughs> right? Now I go down, I do much better, don't I? I, I I'm not quite as... Uh, I, had, I had some... I had, I, I had a whole other language that I spoke on the freeway. <laughs> uh, close, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was definitely tongues of some sort. <laughs> tongues of fire, probably. <laughs> Sharper than any, uh, any dull razor blade, anyway. So... <laughs> Oh, but anyway, let it suffice you. Don't speak any more to me of this matter, the Lord said. So get yourself up to the mount of the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward, northward, southward, and eastward and look. Uh, behold it with your eyes, for you will not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he will go over before this people and shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. And so we abode in the valley over against Beth Peor. You see, the Lord... You know what? It, do you think the Lord still loved Moses and still loves Moses? I do. Just because He didn't give him the right to, in, to walk into that land 
didn't mean that he quit loving on him. You know, when we deny our, our friends or our family or our kids, or when we're denied something, it's not because somebody doesn't love us. Sometimes it's in our best interest, right? And, and, and most of the time, if not all the time, it's for the Lord's best interest. You see, what if Moses had gone in, right? If he'd gone in unpunished and you had these millions of people who could see, well, I can get away with it. If Moses can get away with that, I can get away with it too. If Moses can get away with misrepresenting the Lord, I can get away with misrepresenting the Lord. If Moses can lead people astray, I can lead people astray and get away with it. See, this whole thing, all the way, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, is recounting the story of Israel and all the times they messed up. And, and when they were unrepentant especially, we saw consequences come down. Were the consequences because God didn't love them? Hardly. We, we give our kids consequences because we love them. We want them to stop that behavior that is so hard on them and, and on other people. What if we, we see it all the time when you have an adult who was never disciplined as a child, given everything they wanted, and they're just spoiled brats. They're, they're impossible to be around. Everything has to be their way. They were never loved, and so they don't have the ability to love in those same manners yet until they come to Christ, and God changes their nature and their personality. They've missed out on that part of love which says you do wrong and there will be a price to pay. That's the whole message of salvation. We, as a people, we love darkness rather than light is what the Bible says. And we'd love to do wrong. And so because we do things wrong and we break God's law, he says there's a price to pay. You're going to pay for what you've done wrong unless somebody is willing to pay that price for you. And that's what Jesus did. He stepped in the gap and he said, okay, just like an attorney before a judge saying, you know what, my client here, he messed up, but I'll take the punishment. Let them go free, right? But it's even more intimate because it's like that attorney is the judge's own son. And God just pours out that love upon that wicked sinner that deserves all the judgment. And he puts it on Jesus Christ who died on that cross, shed his blood on your behalf, Hebrews tells us there's no forgiveness of, sh of sin without the shedding of blood. Boy, that's almost a tongue twister. Without the shedding of blood. Right? And so that blood poured out washes away that sin. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's the message here. So Moses, he can't get away with it. He can't just enter in with no consequence. You know, I, I'm... I'm when I lived in Chico, there was a group of us, and one of the guys that uh, I was uh, friends with, his friend from, from childhood he hadn't seen in years, his mom, th this man's mom, had called my friend and said, would you and a couple of uh, your, your friends from church go see him? He's in the hospital. He's dying. And so we went to go see him, and 
this guy in high school uh, and college had been a, um, a bodybuilder and weightlifter. And we went to go see him, and he was emaciated and thin and gaunt and losing color. And he had sores all over him because HIV was ravaging his body. And he'd been a believer in high school and in college, and he had walked away from the Lord and abandoned it for what seemed to be pleasurable at the time. And we went to see him, and he had already made his peace with the Lord and, and had asked forgiveness, and he had sought repentance. And uh, he, he felt like he was right with the Lord and ready to go be with Christ. But there were consequences for what he did wrong. He was forgiven and he was loved and he was going home to be with Jesus. But the sin still had its consequences. That's what it is here for Moses. In any case, God is good. He does forgive us. He does make a way and he does love us in spite of what seems like sometimes harsh judgments upon this world and upon ourselves. But if we will... Do as 1 John says, confess our sins, right? We will repent, confess our sins. Uh, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father God, we are so thankful for all that you've done for us, for your blessings, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. You've given us an everlasting inheritance, a possession alongside with you, Jesus. We are joint heirs with you, Father, with, with Jesus, Father. We, uh, we are so, so amazed that you can take uh, us who were lovers of sin to be lovers of you. Oh God, please help us to continue to walk uprightly. Use these things in our lives as examples to warn us, encourage us, admonish us and exhort us to live uprightly, live for you, that we would walk and serve you and others that we would just fall more and more in love with you. Oh, you are a good, a gracious, and wonderful Father. And we love you so much. And we thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you guys and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. And uh, go forth and, oh, and use every opportunity to, to share with this lost and dying world. Pray that the Lord would put people in our paths this week who need to hear about Him and who would need to know Him. And uh, that He would bless your conversation. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen.